Information Overload Research Group Podcast. Welcome. Let's all reduce information overload in our world. Thank you for listening. Hello everyone and thank you for listening. I am Emanuele Terenzani and today I'm going to speak with Dr. Lorenz Ampofo. Lorenz is a digital strategy and foreign policy professional and the founder and director of Digital Mindfulness and Semantica Research. With over a decade of experience in several topics that circle around information overload, of course. We will talk, of course, about digital mindfulness and what it is and why it's relevant to reduce information overload. We talk a lot about our relationship with technology in our conversation and also the heavy side effect of being constantly connected. We touch the topic of AI and we talk also about the importance of conversation into our nowadays society and how we should actually bring it back. We talk about how to upskill people to better use the information they have and how to education could play an important role in this but it still doesn't actually. So it's a very fascinating discussion with Lawrence about even more fascinating topics, really actually really important for everyone. And I hope this will give you several ideas about how you can reduce information overload or what is effectively the overload you have around that you are not even noticing yet. And now give it up for Dr. Lawrence Ampofo. Enjoy. your podcast. I'm here with uh, Lawrence. Welcome, Lawrence. Hi. Hi, Lely. Thanks so much for having me. Um, it's a real pleasure to be here. Thank you. Uh, I, I, you know, I think your area of, or let's say the area of solution of information overload, it's going to be so different and so interesting that uh, I would like me to get there immediately. But first, let's, let's start maybe just bringing um, uh, on the picture, right? So in order to get to uh, to that thing that I still don't want to share because I would like people <laughs> to stay with us, right? Uh, tell us when did you uh, you know discovered or understood that there was kind of information overload issue mm-hmm. with our communication? Mm-hmm. That is a really good question. So I think um, aside from my mum, um, uh, you know, when I was a child, telling me to get off. The, um, um, the computer or get off the games console because you need to go outside and play. I think professionally I really became aware of it when um, um, I was, I think when I was doing my PhD, mm-hmm. um, so between, between 2007 to 2012, um, I was doing that and, um, and additionally my, uh, my actual job at the time was in um, data analysis and analytics mm-hmm. so my whole job was to convince businesses and convince people to go online and to talk to them about the value of digital data okay. um, but I found that I was online if I wasn't working then I was studying and I was just constantly in front of screens um, and I just thought to myself that this um, this can't be a good thing um, to be connected so much and so um, I wanted to see if other people 
were writing about this, were thinking about this, and if there were any solutions. And so um, I was lucky around 2000, 2011, 2012, I found Nicholas Carr's article um, in The Atlantic, Is Google Making, making Us Stupid? Um, and then that led me on to other books um, like um, All Alone Together by Sherry Turkle, um, The Distraction Addiction by Alex Sujung Kim Pang. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was really when I started to um, think more deeply um, about the way that we connect. You know, Jaron Lanier's You Are Not a, you are not a um, um, Machine. Um, there were a lot of books that outlined the problem of information overload, um, um, device addiction, and just being connected for very, very long times. And and this uh, did, for example, led to so what what kind of um, negative aspects of it? Because from one side we like we say there are several problems and people stating it, but uh, effectively, what is the what is the problem? Mm. So. Um, I think for myself personally, um, I saw there were some physical problems. So I'm not sure if people get this, but like my eye started to flicker involuntarily when I was um, overtired and constantly mm-hmm. looking at screens. And, um, and also just, um, I think my posture as well, I started to realize that my posture was hunched all the time. But then when I started to look, read these, read these um, books, um, and these other papers, I started to see that the problem was much more um, um, was much more acute. So mm-hmm. it went from um, um, the simple behavioural um, things, like for example, being um, for example, people would use sometimes use the word addicted um, or addiction to describe um, compulsive behaviours online. Now, using that phrase is still very much debated. Um, in academic and industry circles, but people who would rather spend time on games or on screens rather than with other people, um, that was something that I started to see, that kind of problem. Also, the problem of um, productivity, so that being distracted, for example, by by information that comes in involuntarily um, impacts people's um, productivity, Um, and that was... You know, that was by academic work by Gloria Mark and, and her colleagues, um, by Sophie Leroy and her colleagues. Um, Sherry Turkle talking about the human impact and the relationship impacts of just being constantly connected and how our relationships are being eroded. Um, and also um, Alex Pang talking about how we were slowly becoming addicted to being connected. Um, all, all of the time. So um, he would use examples of fear of missing out, like FOMO. Um, he would he would often talk about, um, 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 I guess the the almost the feeling of um, kind of withdrawal symptoms, like feeling nervous, feeling frustrated, feeling anxious when we weren't when we weren't connected for a period of time. So these were really the problems that I began um that were presented to me first of all and that's when i thought actually there's um i think there's a serious problem that we have to um that even if it's not people are not talking about it now in 2011 um i think this is going to be a very serious issue 
um, definitely in the, in the near future. So that, that means, so the, this continuous, you know, nervousness or feeling of missing something and uh, uh, is also connected with the fact that since we are overloaded with a lot of information, we start... I don't know. That's I'm guessing from Roto what you say that we we start you know, living in this kind of environment where we keep having um, kind of a wind of stuff coming on us, like information, data, and so. And when this, for a you know even if a fraction of second or some minutes is not happening, we we miss that that wind, that breeze that is is on us, right? Mm-hmm. I think so. I think I think we do. I think that, um, 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 and, it's, and it is interesting you say this because you know it's not just. I think if we talk about information overload, we can sometimes think that this this it kind of it comes from machines or it comes from software, and this information comes over us, and we have no um, agency. We have no. Um, 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 we, we're not making the decision as to whether this information comes to us. Whereas I think there's also the responsibility of um, ourselves and of our society as well, that um, I think we also, I think because we can be connected um, 24, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, I think oftentimes we're expected to be um, responsive. We're mm-hmm. expected to respond to things all of the time, not just by our colleagues but also by our our peers by our our friendship networks and our family networks and so um i think it goes both ways there's also there's an expectation for us to be connected and that leads to information overload mm-hmm. but also the information feeds are constant and they're enormous so yeah you're definitely right hmm so fr- from one side uh, we have our own uh, ways of behaving that is you know constant you know willingness to uh, learn something and find information and uh, that that's natural in humans so it's like uh, probably uh, nothing weird to consider okay that we want to read that we are curious and that we you know that, that, that we has always been with us but at the same time you're saying when we we start having the, an environment that provides all this information and even much more than we could even digest in a lifetime in mm-hmm. front of us, then it starts getting harder for us to to get get rid of it, to avoid, to you know, feel, get into this rabbit hole where we cannot actually uh, find a way out or learn back how to not, how to perhaps learn to feel bored that i think boredom is something we should we should you know learn to, to be and to say like i just stay and be like human being without doing anything right you know it's, it's interesting you say that i think um so that was very much the discourse i think that was happening um a, a while ago and and you are right i think we do have to um um I think we do have to think to ourselves, okay, well then, you know, we need to learn to be bored, we need to learn how to do without all of this information. I think the reality is, is that this can't happen. Mm-hmm. I think the reality is, this information lives with us, um, and I think that 
certainly this is the way the economy works now. This mm-hmm. is how people live. This is how people make money. So I, th- I think what I'm the thing that I'm working on now is I think we need to ask smarter questions. So a lot of the discussion, for example, now is artificial intelligence and machine learning. So will these take the place of humans? Will they do a better job of taking in lots of information mm-hmm. and then processing this for routine, perhaps mundane tasks? And will this get rid of a lot of people from their jobs that are doing perhaps mid to lower level skill jobs? Mm-hmm. So like data to entry, driving, et cetera, et cetera, administration. Whereas I think now we need to ask, how can we better, how can we make this information, how can we, how can human beings live better with this information? Yeah. So how can we interact yeah. better or how can the software, inter- or how, how can the information interact better with us? Yeah, so how devices can be built exactly. in order to avoid us. Yeah, yeah. Exactly, exactly that's that. Right. And I think that, I think that kind of thing, I think that's a harder question. It's yeah. a harder question than simply saying we need to learn to um, to um, have a digital detox and switch off. Mm-hmm. I think actually it's like, okay, what does it mean to be human? Well, that's such a hard question, right? Because that changes from second to second. Mm-hmm. But we have so much data now. But what's obvious is that we're very immature in how we use this data. Um, and so the devices that we have, the services that we use, they just throw information at us all the time. There are constant notifications. It's The phone rings when we're trying to concentrate. And, you know, like it's just constant, like you say, it's constant information and it's a it's an assault. Rather, if now um, we can have machines and we have humans that understand how to live with both elements, if we can understand how to wrap the machines around what it means to be human, I think that's a breakthrough. I yeah. think that's, that's, that's something worth doing. What, what, what is interesting is that there is, there is now AI that, could, and we discussed about it as well in, in uh, some of the, of the IR cast. Um, that is providing solution uh, so that tools are uh, now also smarter. Right? It's not only the tool that we use and we use start learning to use it badly. We discussed a lot about email and how email had bad consequence for our communication, not because the tool is bad, but because it allows us to use it in so many ways that then at the end we end up using it in a way that is not um, productive in the long term. Uh, so AI is going to provide some solution, understanding how we communicate and maybe you know, of getting overloaded instead of us, let's say. right? So, But you are more advocating a um, way of digital detox, right, that is that you call digital mindfulness, right? So I would like to know more about this and why you think that this is uh, one of the ways uh, or, mm-hmm. uh, to avoid and reduce information overload for us. I think um, so. Initially, when I start, when I when I created the phrase, um, it was uh, it was from a book that I was reading, and I pulled it out and I thought it was such a good phrase because the whole idea behind mindfulness is to be able to pay attention um, non-judgmentally and to really focus your attention on the present moment. Um, and I thought to myself, you know, if we were able to do that from a um from a digital perspective 
our digit our present digital moments would be really noisy, you know. Mm-hmm. So it would be our phone, it would mm-hmm. be our laptop, yeah. it would be um, um, the tablet. There would be so many things going on. Um, I think now, like I've been doing this for four years now, and um, and now kind of being able to bring together to combine. Um, everything that we were doing before in terms of digital detox and having that argument, mm-hmm. but now being able to incorporate things like information overload, yeah. UX, um, DevOps, software design, wellness, the, all of these different strands of thinking. Um, what it really comes down to is the int- digital mindfulness really is the intentional use of technology. And yeah. this is why I was talking a lot about um, before about how it's important not to think that we have to switch off, but how we need to be more intentional in terms of the way we use technology. And that's a much harder question to, it's a much harder problem to find a solution to. Mm-hmm. So, so for example, the whole question is now, how would you use, for example, Facebook um, intentionally? Um, now, if you're um, a normal user, it's interesting now because Facebook are asking themselves that question. What if people use the platform more intentionally? If you use the platform more intentionally, that means you bring greater attention to the platform. If you bring greater attention to the platform, then that also means then you're a more valuable um, um, consumer for advertising, right? So then that means, okay, let's prioritize, let's prioritize discussions with your friends and your family and I think that is, um, can you, should I turn off the notifications? Can you hear them? The, my email coming? You, okay, my email's coming in. I thought you might be able to hear it, but that's good if you can't. Um, no, so I, cannot, I, I cannot hear it. But at the end, probably that's part of also the, the, the digital is, talks is talking about notification is maybe learning to, to just give a little attention to them and see <laughs> what we should get and not what, when, and whom, and so on, right? Well, this is it. And so I think kind of going back to the Facebook example, I think it's really interesting in terms of seeing how they're evolving. And they've got a lot of problems at the moment, lots of kind of economic and structural problems. But I think it's really interesting. So an intentional social network would be, okay, I want to talk really to my friends and my family. Mm -hmm. Well, then that's really interesting then because what does then that mean? That means that the quality of your attention on Facebook increases, right? So then if you're an advertiser, how then do I engage intentionally with someone who's been intentional with their relationships? How do I have a meaningful conversation with, with consumers? Yeah. Again, that's, that's a much bigger question, right? And then, of course, then with Facebook's many products, it's like how then do we have meaningful or intentional interactions on each of these products or across Messenger, across um, Instagram? Yeah. Um, and I think that these are much... These are better, better questions. Emails, another one, for example, like actually, how do we be intentional with our email use? Um, lots of people talk about batching emails, so only switching on your email between, I don't know, at certain times of the day, like, you know, 1 p.m. and 9 a.m. or something like this. Um, but actually, I think from the designer side, so if, say from Microsoft side, how can we design Outlook so that it's more intentional? If it's more intentional, people are more productive. 
um, it may mean that they would use the, the service less, mm -hmm. but they would be way more productive, which means it becomes way more valuable um, for people, which means that that entire product suite then becomes something that people would want to buy as opposed to having notifications from your boss and from subscriptions and newsletters. And, you know, it's really hard to tell what's important. Even with AI having the focused inbox, it's hard to tell what's important. So I think that question of intentionality, which then leads to meaningful digital interactions, I think um, that's what I'm really focused on now. And that's basically what digital mindfulness means. And also the, the, the importance is pro probably also for us sometimes, um, you know, talking about mindfulness, we, uh, that's what I notice, right, using also social networks and so on, often maybe we spend precious time in watching things that are probably total bullshit, right, things that they don't matter, they just are attractive for, you know, mm. 30 seconds, but this leads to some other 30 seconds and then after one hour you notice that oh, I didn't really learn anything I just potentially wasted my time but I I couldn't get out of it something like that yeah yeah and I think that it's exactly these kinds of interactions that um, lead to low value engagement with a platform so for example if you, so Google invests billions of pounds in its advertising platform. Mm -hmm. Now, if you see an advert, a Google advert, and it doesn't mean anything to you, it's completely inappropriate and it spoils your experience. Yeah. That means you won't use Google ads, you won't click on them, and the whole relationship is faulty. And so yeah. I think that actually reducing those kinds of interactions that you were just speaking about. So reducing the, um, you know, um, the ones that are not meaningful, basically. You just kind of like, you, you click and you serve and you serve and you're just like, how did I get here? I don't know what I'm doing. I'm not interested in this. Um, I think reducing those kinds of interactions to more, okay, I know what I want to do. I love this service because it helps me get there. Um, because it really understands either what I want to do or I myself, I've got the awareness to know what I want to do mm -hmm. and I know the tools that are going to help me. Um, I think that those are much more valuable experiences. So something like I choose that to, to dedicate that particular time to that particular thing, right? That, that Instead of that thing that chooses to attract me and just steal my time Absolutely. and I'm not aware of it, right? So... I think the other thing, though, from this is that if you if you go from that, the corollary from that is, um, I said, like, okay, great, I know what I want to do now. Now, imagine if you could have a service, um, piece of software, piece of hardware mm -hmm. that says, okay, I can you can tap into that thing that you want to do, whatever it is, um, and you know, again, sorry to bring up social networking yeah. again, but it's like, okay, I want to contact my mother. I want to contact my family. What's the best way for me to do that? That's going to look after my privacy. That's going to keep my messages secure. Going to do it quickly. Yeah. That's going to have a nice experience. And then you might not say Facebook. You might say Skype. You might say something else, right? But yeah. I think that I think that's really interesting because then once you decide on the tool, 
it's almost like then the business model changes okay. because it's not okay. just about getting your attention, it's about capturing your intention. Yeah. One thing I wanted to know from you, right, is uh, as soon, assuming that we, you know, we understand the uh, importance of learning how to pay attention to what we do, so to avoid <laughs> to get, uh, in, in, let's say, uh, persuaded too much by tools and distraction. One thing is we need to recognize as well the problems of communication. Hmm. But then let's get into the, the solution. So what could we do, right? Considering as well, like, you know, once we are mindful about our digital communication, how can we make sure to avoid it and to be much more in the control of, of, of what we, we say, what we you know, read and acquire? So it's a good question. So it's a it's a really um, simple question, and the answer is complex. It's <laughs> so we're going to need more than ten minutes. Um, but so, but I think we can um, to kind of. Um, I think one of the ways that we can do this is to just be, for example, so for example, we can think about it in um, a few different categories. So the first is with um, the first is with culture. So, one of the things that we're one of the things that we're seeing now in terms of um, information overload and the best ways to overcome that mm -hmm. is by um, working with um, team leaders, um, department leads, um, in terms of instilling a different culture, mm -hmm. work culture um, around particularly um, business tools that people use, um, and this goes across the board. So it's across offices students or people that kind of look after students at schools etc and universities um and this is and so like this is by changing by changing culture by changing what we expect of people um and also by leveraging some of the tools that we have so for example leveraging some things like automation whatever um we can decrease information overload a really good example of this is um that some companies Nissan, I believe, is one of them, mm -hmm. have um, experimented with different things. Like, for example, different days of the week that um, that people are not allowed to contact certain team members at night. So, for example, on the Monday, you wouldn't let be allowed to contact one person after 5 p.m. And because the whole team agrees on it, that's a rule. And then the next day, you wouldn't be allowed to contact another person after 5 p.m. and another person. And so each day during the week, one person has some respite from being mm -hmm. contacted. Um, this is one experiment. I know that other companies have experimented with working four-day weeks. So by um, um, basically batching all of the meetings, all of the emails, etc., into four days, it kind of reduces, the way that reduces information overload is that it conditions clients, other stakeholders to know that actually on one day of the week, um, this team is not going to be available. Mm -hmm. So whatever meetings or whatever you decide to have, the meetings need to be shorter. They need to be much more to the point. We need to time manage better. That means the amount of information we send to people has to be more focused. Mm -hmm. And so um, so I think culture change 
is definitely one thing that we can do. But we're mm. seeing um, we're seeing enterprises and other organisations experiment with. Um, the other thing that we're seeing is by using software. Mm. Um, so um, particularly, um, so more and more we're seeing people using um, um, digital assistants, um, automation, um, some form of, of artificial intelligence to um, get rid or to decrease the amount of um, um, information that's coming into them. And in fact, we would say useless information coming into them. So, um, so again, great examples of this, using things like Google Assistant, um, using Cortana, etc., to schedule meetings, um, using where possible um, some form of automation. So, for example, using things like Calendly, um, sorry, Doodle, it's using these things like Doodle, Calendly, etc., to schedule your meetings. Um, these, um, and again, using um, emails that have smart inboxes. So, um, on your on your mobile devices, using things like I, um, Office, Microsoft Office, or Astro, if you're on um, um, iOS and Android, mm -hmm. and on desktop, but using those to have a focused inbox. And these inboxes are getting much better at learning what requires your attention right now and what doesn't require your attention. Um, so I think that I think using software and automation is really good. But again, these are for people more like me and you. Um, these are for people that understand technology. Maybe not so much for lay people. You know, people that just use technology every single day. Um, they don't really know how to do this. I think so. I think another thing to help everyday people is policy. To be honest with you. I think GDPR has had a really good effect on letting people know about privacy, about the type of information that they're giving to companies, mm -hmm. and also the type of information that they're going to get back. Um, it's not easy to read all of the terms and conditions from each website. Um, so, um, you know, when you go to, like, say, the New York Times or you go to the Financial Times and you get this whole... Do you accept, you know, again, these are examples of dark <laughs> patterns. Um, I think it's really shady, you know, because they, these, um, these, you know, people that own websites, our whole objective is you to... Don't, you don't really have options, like, right? You're like, do you accept? You have no yeah. option. No, okay, then just don't read it. Exactly. Don't have, well, like, there is not a third way, like, you know, I don't accept, but I can still get some stuff. Well, like, you know, you, you go to the website and it's really hard to read what they're actually saying but then the big button do you accept or do you not it's just like whatever i don't care like i just accept so um i think that policy politicians governments supranational organizations mm -hmm. like the european union um, ASEAN, um united nations i think they have a really big role to play um yeah, in so. helping to decrease information overload and i think that's something that Perhaps people in think tanks, people in smaller organizations, we don't think of lobbying. So I know the sense of the humane technology, they work very much with um, policymakers. Um, I know that Dot Everyone as well, they're based in London, um, headed by Martha Lane Fox. They focus a lot on policy and research. And so I think we need to do a much better job of engaging with supranational organizations and governments.
to reduce information overload. Mm-hmm. So we okay. said that part of our people, like we as people, we are tendentially curious. We want to improve. And nowadays as well, there are so many more opportunities where we can improve, we can keep learning. We, we don't even need to go to school. We can just get school online anytime we want. There are schools that are providing online courses. And we can, you know, we, we, we can get this. And our life at time is not enough to get all what we, we could get. Hmm? Uh, and potentially, I think it's even in one single day, there is much more data created that one person can digest in five lifetime, right? Even more. In every day, like so, a lot of stuff keep coming. But at the same time, we this kind of amount of stuff and our curiosity is more than being a benefit. Certain times becomes a negativity because we are not able then to to control it. So we might waste a lot of time doing things that we don't necessarily want to do, while other stuff that we are supposed to do that are more interesting for us are. Uh, you know, remaining somewhere because there are still things that we, you know, they are, they are persuading us. So uh, from, from your side, from digital um, mindfulness, right? So how do you think we can tackle this problem? So certainly there is um, there's another, another way, another really useful way of overcoming information overload because I think the topic of information overload is itself overwhelming and mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of information out there from um, lots of different people so one of the first things um, you can do is to go somewhere find a source that you trust mm-hmm. that will give you the right information um, on this topic so um, of course we're on the iorg website but um, iorg itself has mm-hmm. a number of really great resources um, to help you just better understand um, in a balanced way the different arguments that exist for, um, for information overload. Um, and this will really help kind of, A, help you understand the topic, but it will also point you in the right direction for um, getting better tools, mm-hmm. um, uh, getting better tools, better software, etc., to help you um, with this. Um, so those are those are three things that I think will really will really help to um, give people better knowledge, but also to drive down um, a lot of information within the organisation. Mm-hmm. But from from mindfulness, I mean, I I, I I'm doing uh, a live a live show that actually it's on a YouTube channel that is about mindfulness and. Uh, Try to share. It's not digital mindfulness, but it's just more like how to, you know, control and pay attention and mm. learn your senses. So, is do you think also like part of uh, this kind of mind practice could help to deal with the uh, mm. overload? It's a yeah, it's a good question. Um, so certainly, so I think when thinking about digital mindfulness, and I think I kind of gave the um, the definition earlier. Um, so digital mindfulness really is about um, understanding where you are in your present moment, your present digital moment. Mm-hmm. So as a person on your own, it's very difficult to do this because your brain automatically filters out um, a lot of information that it doesn't need to know in that moment. So mm-hmm. one of the things you can do, which is really useful, is that you can use different tools to help you understand what your digital usage is. Mm-hmm. So there are apps like um, 
um, space, for example, space app. You can find that on the um, on the iOS, uh, sorry, on the App Store and on the Android um, um, Play Store, um, and also the latest update to um, Android P, um, which is really fantastic, or um, the um, Screen Time by by um, Apple. Okay. The, what these do is these help you to monitor your online behaviors, and it really is a form of um, mindfulness, as it were. So it helps you understand where did you spend your most time? Where did, did you spend the most time on YouTube or on WhatsApp, um, on Instagram or whatever? You know, where did you spend the most time? Um, with apps like Space, it takes it a step further. So it helps you to understand, it helps you to set goals yourself for example what what do i um what would i like to do would i like to reduce the amount of time that i spend on certain apps um because these either help me or they don't help me um so this kind of thing almost externalizing um the information gathering process but that these um monitoring tools are really fantastic um for helping you to, um, um, uh, in a mindful way, um, tackle the problems of information overload. Mm-hmm. That was interesting. I, I, I read into, uh, I think it was the Financial Times, mm-hmm. uh, an article where t- t- Tim Cooks even said that you know they they just wanted to to have the, their customers satisfied and empowered, but they never wanted people to really spend effectively a lot of time on their. The Apple devices, right? And they say, you know, at the end, it's not really our um, our business to have people attached to our devices. This is more like of a Facebook or LinkedIn or social media need. But from a device perspective, you can even, um, I mean, it's not part of the, they could, you know, if I give you a phone that even tells you how that you, you if you spend too much time, you are wasting time. So you then it reminds you this, so you put it back and you can have your life. I would rather buy that phone rather than one that instead wants to keep me there, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's interesting as well. You know, I speak to, um, speak to a lot of people about things like this and we, and we, try, and, um, we try to understand, you know, what's the, what's the value in, uh, is there any value at all in these companies yeah. having us have spend less time with our devices? Um, and it's really, and I think it's a really good question. It's a really good point. And I think a lot of people would say, oh, they're being really cynical. It's just, you know, corporate greenwashing that basically they have to get involved in this debate because it's for corporate social responsibility. And, and I actually think, um, people are missing the point a little bit. I think that if we spend more quality time with our devices and with our information, Number one, um, the ad experience would um, um, it improves because then the people that serve adverts have to have to serve better quality adverts um, mm. on these platforms. I think also though, if we're spending less time on our devices, it means the quality of our attention to those devices and those services is improved. So the overall experience that we have with these providers is improved. We become, yeah. um, and this is, and this is much better because there's nothing, there's nothing worse, Lily, as you know, 
trying to go through your emails and you can't find what you're looking for because there's so much information and it doesn't know where to put certain emails or there's nothing worse than just scrolling through your social networks and you're just bored and you're just surfing. It's much, much better when you're, acti when you're actively connecting with someone and you do what you need to do. So, um, so yeah, I think that that's the motivation behind this and it's a step forward in improving the environment for everyone. Mm -hmm. So to always keep like a, your mind alarm that when when it's too much time is passing, then just get 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 rid of it. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, is it uh, email still one of the main distraction you think nowadays? Um, it's. I think it's interesting. I think um, certainly we. It was um, the case um, about you know five to ten years ago that email was one of the biggest distractions, particularly for professionals. Um, because I think where, um, where desktop computing was so prevalent, um, it, was the, it was a dominant computing platform, um, email was just something that we spent a lot of our time with. It was the window that was open ambiently um, most of the time. What you're seeing now that mobile has displaced the PC, mm. um, certainly in the last five to seven years, as a dominant computer platform, um, email itself has just become much more ambient. So the, the, the different tools of email, like sending messages to people and you know, using notifications to, um, to help them with that, you can apply that same way of thinking to messages, to, um, to instant messages, um, even to the notifications, notification systems that you have that come through. So I would say that it's perhaps not so much email that's the main driver of information overload, but email type systems. So notifications, for example, are a massive source of information overload. Um, I think also, I th in fact, notifications is perhaps where I'll stay. I think the arrangement of different notifications on our devices um, is also very difficult. So for example, on iOS at the moment, um, you can only ever see the last notification from us. It doesn't group notifications together mm -hmm. um, as Android would do. So again, that's a source of information overload because you can never see, you can never see very quickly what was going on. So anyway, um, all of that suffice to say, um, I think that notifications now, um, and the research is certainly saying this, it's one of the biggest sources of um, yeah. distraction, information overload. But of course, if you look at the user experience literature, it would say that notifications are one of the biggest drivers of engagement. So they really compel people to do things. And of course, that is exactly what companies want. They want people to spend more time on the site. Yeah. And I wonder, you know, I, I work in a big corporate like me, but I guess that's the case of all the corporate. One of the main thing leadership wants to is to make sure that people get the information in that time when they need it. Right. That is means, you know, the corporate knowledge, the things that the education you still have to complete or the, you know, mandatory tasks that you still need to accomplish. So it is always like this kind of uh, race to, uh, you know, get the information. And mostly email is the main solution. 
Absolutely. And email became, I mean, in many companies that even have the enterprise social network platform, email became a notification system because you send a mail with the link to a blog post that is instead somewhere else. Right? So it's like an additional notification platform. Um, there, I think there is something wrong with this need of uh, having the information coming in front of somebody because then too many are coming and then nothing effectively comes it's i think um so i mean um what's this name it's not um so clay shirky said i think in 2011 the um the professor then new york university professor um he said in 2011 that um the problem that we have is not information overload it's um filter failure and mm-hmm. um and I think that there's some truth to what he was saying. So um, I find it really ironic when you have, for example, the mindfulness um, meditation apps or the digital wellness apps that are constantly notifying you that you've got to do your mindfulness practice or you've got to do your, um, you know, you've got to stand up and take your 10,000 steps. Yeah, and that's it's, just like, it's like, what's, you know, you've just distracted me and now it's going to take me ages to, to get my attention back. Um so I think that what um, where we are at the moment is that um, our devices don't know yet what's important to us. Um, and I think that's one of the next big things that's going to, um, that's actually going to happen. Um, there's so much information out there and a lot of it is meaningless. It's really meaningless information, but that's because um, our um, these digital assistants, these um, um, computing platforms, they don't know, mm-hmm. they don't know us um, um, that well. Of course, for these digital platforms to know us, they're going to need much more information mm-hmm. about us, much more data. But um, when you have discussions about fake news, about data hacks, data breaches, people, I think, certainly in Europe, are going to be much more wary of sharing that information mm-hmm. Um, with the cloud and so um, um, I think the discussion that's that's going on at the moment is very interesting and the developments in IT are really interesting Um, so IT and also the design community is just really really interesting but um, I think at the moment we're very much like um, not even like adolescents we're very young in understanding how do we present the right information to the right person at the right time um, and at the moment, we don't. We just give them everything. We serve everything. And we make it very difficult for people to turn off or to manage notifications. Um, and I'm talking about notifications yeah. in particular. Um, so I think um, that's perhaps where the work needs to be done. Mm-hmm. But p- part, I think, we, we also discussed in uh, several of the IORG uh, webinars and connected with AI would be maybe AI understanding more for us what to share and what not at what particular time of the day. So I guess this could be a solution. But um, don't you think uh, we miss this kind of education into our uh, school system nowadays? Um, I think so. I think that. Um um, there's, I think this, well, particularly in the UK, I'm not sure about elsewhere, but there are lots of resources, I think, for um, children and for educators um, that are being produced at the moment for digital well-being, mm-hmm. stroke, um, information overload. Um, so I think that that's, that's really good. I, but 
One of the problems is, of course, that none of this is standardized. So there's not one governing organization that says, okay, this is digital wellness or this is information overload and this is the standard that everyone has to go by. Mm -hmm. If we're talking about medicine, if we're talking about traffic safety, if we're talking about information technology, um, there are national, regional and global institutes that have standards, whereas with information overload, digital wellness, that they don't exist. So children in one school may be taught one thing, but in another school be taught something else. So um, that's, I think, um, standardization is definitely important. Mm. But also, we, I mean, I think, you know, normal common behavior, right? We say to our kids, don't swear, don't use bad words, or don't put your fingers in your nose, and so on. Uh, but we don't say, like, don't spam with your emails, or don't write an email that is too much complex, or don't push notification if you don't really need to. Like, this is, like, part of the, um, you know, bon ton that, we should get into our society with you know new devices and new environment absolutely absolutely and i think that um um i think it's like i said i think this is interesting because we do whenever we speak of in education and training we think very much of children um and how they're going to be doing it but i think it starts really from the top down rather than the bottom up so who are the designers? Who are the engineers? Who are the adults that are going to be using this? How? I mean, these are the um, economically active people, who um, you know, people who experience phishing attacks, hacking attacks on their on their credit cards and their bank details. I think we need to figure out a better way to um, actually engage with the adult population um, and really pass on these skills and this knowledge. Yeah, yeah. So that eventually um, there would be a reduction of information overload due to the you know, general different behavior. Wow, this is. I think. I think there will. I think it's. Um, I think even once you have a reduction in information overload, because you would have to. I think the. That's probably not the challenge. So yes, you would have less information, but I think it's much more. Um, how can we um, um, upskill people to better deal with the information that they have? So if, you were, if we were to reduce the amount of information we have, I'm not sure many people would notice. Whereas I think um, reducing information at the same time upskilling people to better deal mm-hmm. with the information they have, I think that's the objective. Um, because once we do have that, then, well, I mean... That's um, um, that's a new environment mm-hmm. when humans and when human beings and um, computers, when they interact um, beneficially, um, most most of the time. Any uh, anything that you know our listener could start doing from from now that they're listening to to help this process. Um can people do right now i'd say the first thing that the first thing that people would should do in terms of really understanding um i think the first thing is awareness but that's what i would say um kind of going on from a mindfulness perspective but i would i'd say that 
understanding where you are digitally is really, really important. So downloading one of these um, um, behavior monitoring applications. So it's like, for example, Moment, um, um, Moment it's called In The Moment on iOS and Android or Space mm-hmm. on iOS and Android. Downloading that and living with that, having that track your behavior over the la- over a week will really help you understand where you're spending a lot of your time, um, and it will give you greater awareness of where you get your information from and how you spend it, how many times you open your phone, etc. Um, I would say the next thing, the next really useful thing that people can do is to start. Um, First of all, by just trying to have a discussion about this with the people that you spend your most the most time with from an information perspective. Mm-hmm. So the idea that I shared with you earlier of, for example, members of your team being uncontactable on certain days of the week, or um, I think that's really that's a really useful exercise to do to kind of bring to your team right how this is how I'm spending my digital time. Um, how are we managing the information that comes into our into into our team, mm-hmm. and how can we improve that? I think this is a really meaningful discussion um, to have. And then, of course, setting rules that everyone agrees to. Um, I think these really really help. But I think the third thing, the third and final thing that we can that you can do is to try and to try and automate as much as you can, um, particularly using voice um, voice assistants. They're really incredibly useful once you get to know them and once you get to use different skills um, to mm-hmm. just take away um, a lot of the time-consuming, information-rich tasks that you have. For example, like, um, I don't know, setting meetings or creating lists, doing shopping, you know, um, all of these little things can be can be done with, you know, Cortana, Google, Google Assistant or, you know, Alexa or whatever. But using those and using automation as much as possible will really, really help um, um, you really help you with um, getting to the bottom of some of your information overload challenges. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's true. That's true. Uh, and that will require as well people to, 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 to try it, right? So, so not say, you know, if you don't try, you will never know uh, Absolutely. how it works. So just give it a try and it's going to help. Absolutely. Yourself. Uh, what is your communication um, strategy? Like, to, to, what are the tools, let's say, that you're using every day? How how Lawrence is, you know, going around <laughs> and communicating with peers, customers, friends, and so on. <laughs> um, so I am um, I'm quite connected. Um, yeah, I spend a lot of time with computers, so. I do have to try and manage myself. So I have. Um, so what do I use every day? Um, um, I try, I'm really trying to cut down the amount of um, chat um, applications that I use. So, um, so I use Slack um, a lot. Um, but Slack, I find, is just is really excellent in terms of bringing together lots of different teams mm-hmm. and being able to just manage the notifications that I have with that. Um, in terms of a digital assistant, I use um, Alexa a lot um, because that... <clears throat> That helps me mm-hmm. just with, you know, because I, I move around frequently. So that helps me with things like ordering transport, doing my shopping, um, and also, um, um, gosh, just managing um, the information that I get. 
so that's really useful. Um, the other thing I use is um, Astro for my email. So Astro is a, um, um, as far as I know, a Mac, um, a Mac application, um, and basically it just has a very good um, artificial intelligence filtering system. Mm -hmm. And so all of the in all of the emails that I need to see that I need to kind of um, be aware of and respond to. They come front and center and people that I don't respond to as much, they're pushed down in the priority queue. So those are those are a few things that I use every day and they really help me a lot. Cool. So like uh, I, there are several that I, I don't use personally, so it's uh, very interesting. But Slack is definitely one of the most interesting tools for collaboration. Absolutely. Uh, even, even if uh, they're still closed potential environment right while uh, sometimes you know particularly if you work in a, in a team it's better if you have open communication so instead of a you know, private chat so it's like I think tendentially invites people to have private conversations sometimes instead of absolutely but overall I, I, I like it yeah that's, absolutely that's a good tool. <laughs> Bene, uh, Lawrence, thank you so much for for, for sharing all uh, what you you know your your patience and also a lot of hints and tips for for people to you know to not only avoid information overload but also how to improve the way how they are you know living and communicating uh, is there anything uh, else um, that we haven't discussed so far that it's important uh, people know um, there isn't at the moment but I think the last thing I would say is that it's really important for people to um, this is such a fascinating area that is constantly in development um, there are some people that are doing really incredible, um, really interesting things. There are lots of startups in this space, mm -hmm. um, lots of policy being developed at the moment. Um, so I would say watch this space. Um, keep listening, keep checking into IORG because um, this space is only set to grow. Yeah. And in the last 10 years, it exploded with devices and things and situations. That's true. Absolutely. Yeah. Where should we direct our listeners if they want to get in touch with you or see, uh, you know, have a look at their acti your activities? And Cool. Yeah, thank you. So, um, so um, yeah, I'm um, on Twitter. It's um, at Digital Mindful. Mm -hmm. um, so, you can find me there. Um, if you come to the website, digitalmindfulness.net, um, that's just got to, um, that will show you basically everything that we're doing, introduce you to the digital, global digital mindfulness community, um, where you can also get access to all of the um, online training resources that we have, thought leadership resources that we have, and also, um, also the products and services that we sell as well. So, um, so yeah, come to digitalmindfulness.net and we're also on Twitter at Digital Mindful. Cool. Thank you. So it's been very nice to talk to you. Thank you so much for, for, for your time and for sharing. Uh, see you at the next podcast. Right. Absolutely. Thank you, Lelo. Thank you. Thank you.